Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Continuing in our study of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, we'll uh, be concluding 1 Thessalonians next week and then plunging into 2 Thessalonians. This little church that's under so much persecution, uh, Paul was driven out um, and he's concerned for them. And he writes to them uh, after Timothy's visit, excited about their faith, their faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. But he wants, as he said in in chapter 3, to help complete what's lacking in their faith. So let's take a look. Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look into your word that you would be pleased uh, to speak to our hearts. Uh, We look forward to the great um, first coming of the Lord Jesus at the rapture when we will... uh, be raised to be with him and like him. We look forward to the the great revelation of Jesus Christ when he'll come back to reign on earth. And as we look forward to these events, we pray that they would stimulate us uh, to live in a way that's pleasing to him. So meet with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I was listening... Uh, to the radio in the car, and and a man by the name of Shel Silverstein, uh, they had a little uh, thing that he said, a little illustration that he said. Phil, uh, uh, Shel Silverstein, uh, if you know his writings, the the end of the sidewalk. My favorite is Uncle Shelby's ABZ book, um, and he also wrote 800 songs. Probably the best known is uh, A Boy Named Sue. Uh, so you catch kind of the flavor of, of him. And, and so he was sharing a story from his youth. And he said, <clears throat> when I was just a, a young boy, a, a grade schooler, my dad came to me and he gave me a dollar bill and, and said, this is for you and uh, it's f- for you to use how you want. And so I took that dollar bill and he said, I was so proud of it. I said, I want to do something special with this bill to just make my father proud. And so he went out and he ran into one of his older friends and he showed him the dollar bill and said, look at this dollar bill dad gave me and I'm so excited about it. And the guy said, hey, I'll trade you these two quarters for that dollar bill. <laughs> and well, two's better than one, right? So he did. And then he went walking along and he ran into another friend and he told her how he had... <laughs> taken advantage of this other guy by trading for those two quarters for his $1 bill. And the guy says, hey, I'll give you three dimes for those two quarters. <laughs> Whoa, who knew it was this easy? And so he, he went along and then he ran into another friend who traded him four nickels for those three dimes. And he finally ended up with a friend who gave him five pennies for those four nickels. And he said, I was so proud. I went back to my dad and I said, dad, I want to show you what I traded that dollar bill for. And he held out his hand with those five pennies. And he said, my dad's face turned red and, and he tried to talk, but he, he just couldn't. 
And he said, I left that room knowing my dad was so proud of me, he was speechless. <laughs> well, there's wisdom. Most of us would say five's better than one. But there's other wisdom that comes into play that tells you and, and gives you a better perspective. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Things that we know or we should know as believers that help us view the world and how we live in a way that helps us not to take a dollar bill and exchange it for five pennies. Okay, so let's look, and as we, we go through this, we've called this the day of the Lord, prepared or surprised. Uh, this passage is much different from the passage we looked at last week. Uh, in verse 13, it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Chapter 4, verses 13, 18 gives a new truth not known before. Um, Paul's helping uh, what's lacking in their faith. He's giving them a new revelation from the Lord Jesus. Some had come in and thought that, that if you weren't alive until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you were going to lose out on sharing in some of the glory. And so Paul corrects that by saying, no, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. We're all going to be caught up together with the Lord in the air. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, gives, or 12, gives applications to truths previously taught when Paul was with them. This isn't new information. They know some things, and Paul wants them to accurately profit from, from their truth. A lot of times we know truths, but we don't live by those truths. And so Paul's going to emphasize that. In chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, he explains an experience that all only believers will have. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, he explains an experience that the whole world will have. And because you and I were not there to hear what Paul previously taught the Thessalonians believers, we have to kind of go back and look at some of the terms Paul uses and, and fill in some of that information. And so that's what we're going to do at, at the start of this. You notice verse 1, he says, Now to the times and epochs or seasons, brethren, you have no need that anything be written to you. Uh, this, this phrase, times and, and seasons, uh, only occurs three times in the Bible, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and then in Daniel 2.21, where Daniel, after praying to God, for help to know how to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream of that great statue, thanks God for his help, saying, it is he, God, who changes the times and seasons or epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. And then in Acts 1, uh, verses 6 and 7, after the resurrection, just before the Lord's ascension into heaven, the disciples ask him, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And the Lord said to them, it is not for you to know the times and epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And, and so this has to do with the Lord's kingdom this has to do with the timing of when Jesus Christ is coming back to reign. And uh, in 2017, 
uh, we looked at the book of Daniel. And in chapter 2, if you, if you remember the story, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. He was in his bed. He was thinking, you know, I took over for the Assyrians. Who's going to come after me? And he has this dream, and Daniel interprets it. And he says, you saw this huge statue with a head of gold, uh, arms and breasts of silver, uh, loins of, of bronze, uh, legs of iron, and then feet mixed of, of clay and uh, uh, iron. And you saw this stone cut without hands, and it comes down and it crashes into the feet of the statue. And the statue turns to dust and is blown away, and the rock turns into a huge mountain. And Nebuchadnezzar says, that's exactly my dream. And then Daniel says, listen, uh, this God, who's sovereign in history, has chosen uh, to give you a, a view of the future. And if you remember, uh, Daniel says, There's, you're the head of gold. Ba the empire of Babylon's this head of gold. And after you, there's an inferior kingdom in, in chapter 7 and 8. God reveals that that's Medes and Persians. And after that... Uh, he reveals that it's a, a Grecian empire. And then uh, he talks about the Roman empire. And then he, there's a break. And see, we are right here. We're before this last world empire. Um, and in the last times, this, this, the Lord Jesus is going to come back in his revelation, crush the times of the Gentiles, and uh, uh, establish his kingdom. And so that's what the times and seasons deal with. Uh, times, chronos, refills, refers to periods of time. It's really a word that deals with quantity of time, um, uh, the duration. Seasons, epochs, refers to the key events in those times. It's a word that talks about the quality of those times, uh, the, the events that happen. Uh, the characteristics of that time. So, so Daniel talks about these four kingdoms, but he says, now this one's going to be gold because uh, you have absolute sovereignty. The one that follows you is inferior, like silver is inferior to gold, and, and they're not going to have the centralized authority that, that your kingdom does. And so he describes those, those uh, kinds of things. But notice Daniel couldn't say when the Babylonian Empire would end. He couldn't say when the Medes and Persians Empire would end. Those were things God kept to himself. And so the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, it's not for you to know the time when I'm coming back, when I'm going to establish my kingdom. And so uh, there's also the times of the Gentiles. The Lord mentions that in, in Luke 21, 24, where he says Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles has ended. And that, again, is a reference to that, that uh, last kingdom, the Antichrist, will be in control of Jerusalem until the Lord takes that control away and establishes his kingdom. And so what do we know? Well, the first thing we know is God is sovereign over human history. Um, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that the Most High is ruler over the realms of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes. Five times Daniel says that. See, the times, how long these periods last, and the quality, the, 
the events that happen in them are totally under God's sovereign control. And we know that. And then the second thing is that um, God has a purpose in this. And the purpose is to set Jesus Christ up as head over all things in heaven and on earth. Um, in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, Paul calls it a mystery, a truth unknown in the Old Testament but now revealed. The Old Testament prophecies, uh, there were Old Testament prophecies of this wonderful millennial kingdom on earth, but it, it, it didn't give details of, of who actually was going to, to control that and how that was going to happen. And, and so we know these things, right? We know there's this coming empire that Christ is going to destroy. We know that there's uh, uh, Daniel chapter uh, 9 tells us that this man from this revived empire is going to make a, a treaty with Israel for seven years. We know that's what the scriptures say, but we don't know when that's going to happen. That's not for us to know. But God has given us insight into the future. As someone has said, history is his story. The second term we want to look at is there in verse 2. After saying in verse 1, you understand God's in control. You understand that God is working through history to bring about this kingdom of his son. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. Uh, the second term Paul uses is the day of the Lord. It occurs 18 times in the Old Testament. A similar expression that day occurs over 75 times. The day of the Lord is a time when God is more directly and dramatically at work in human affairs than any time since the first coming of Christ. William MacDonald says, it is a time characterized by judgment on the enemies of Israel and apostate portions of Israel, by deliverance of God's people and by the establishment of Christ's kingdom. Warren Wiersbe calls it a time when God will judge the world and punish the nations and prepare Israel for the return of the Lord Jesus. Uh, it begins um, yeah. um, It begins after the rapture. It will include the tribulation. Isaiah 13, 9 to 13, part of it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. And a little bit later it says, the sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Jeremiah calls it the day of Jacob's trouble in chapter 30, verse 7. There'll be the revelation of Jesus Christ, him coming in his glory to reign, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. It'll include the millennial reign of Christ, Zechariah 14, verses 8 and 9 says, And in that day living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And lastly, it describes the final destruction of the heavens and the earth by fire, 2 Peter 3, 7 and 10. Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed, and the earth and its works will will be burned up. Now obviously there's a lot more that could be said and, and the goal of this was just to give you an overview of, of some of the things Paul taught there. 
and we'll see some more of this when we go through 2 Thessalonians. But Paul really wants to center in, and some of you are familiar with these truths. Christ is coming. He's going to set up his kingdom. There's going to be this terrible time of tribulation before that. And Christ is going to use this time uh, to, to bring Israel to, to their recognition of their need of a savior. And he says, you know this full well. Um, the believers knew the truth. While unbelievers were living in ignorance like uh, Shel Silverstein. When he showed that dollar bill and that other friend said, I'll give you two quarters for that dollar bill, that other guy knew full well those two quarters weren't worth a dollar bill. Well, we know the truth. The world, like Shel Silverstein, has an idea of some truth. Five's better than one. But because they don't respond to the word of God, um, in crucial areas, they're sadly ignorant. You know, Shel Silverstein lost 95% of his wealth. Those outside of Christ are going to lose it all. And so he talks, to, he's going to talk to us. He's going to talk about this future time of judgment, but he's going to talk to us because we are his ambassadors now. We are those who, who carry this message. Um, so what do we know? Verse 2. We know that God's actions are decisive, unexpected, and sudden. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, one day, I went out to my garage. I, I get up early, come over here, and walk in the gym. So it was about, oh, quarter six or so. And I walked through... Uh, I opened my garage door, and there lay a woman's possessions, her purse and all the things in her purse and a bag and all the things that were in that bag, all there on, on the cement around my car. And uh, so I knew that uh, my day was, morning was ruined because I called the police and it took some time and then they had to come and ask a bunch of questions because two blocks away, a young woman came home, put her purse and bag on on the kitchen countertop, her husband, both of them were former Waterloo policemen, uh, had, he was away, and, and she, she's a night, now works as a night person at, at one of the gas stations, and she put all that on her table, and she, she walked back in the bedroom to get ready to go to bed, and then she heard some noise, and she yelled out, I have a gun. She said, I really didn't want to shoot it because I have a brand new car in the garage and he was between me and the garage and, and if he was just a kid, I didn't want to do it, but I wanted him out of my house. And so she heard him dash out of the house and she called the police and because she's a former police officer, they came in large numbers and so he was looking for a place and apparently he had cased our place as well and knew my garage door was open and so he went there and he went through all the stuff. But you know, she didn't expect that. The events we're talking about are going to come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. And just like her purse was plundered, now thankfully he was just looking for money for drugs, so all of her credit cards and all the other things that were valuable to her in the purse were still there. But he plundered her. And there's coming a time where everything this world wars to own, they're going to lose. They're going to be plundered. 
And it's going to happen like a thief in the night. God gives no warning when he acts. In Daniel 5, Daniel warned Belshazzar of God's judgment. And in a single night, Babylon, which everyone thought was unconquerable, fell that very night. And so we're warned. Uh, be ready for the rapture. The world is warned. Prepare to meet your God. In verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child, and they will not escape. The second thing we learn is things are not always as they appear. Apparently, in, in the tribulation period, the Antichrist will have some answers to the world's problems. Uh, some think this refers after he's defeated uh, Russia, and interestingly enough, its, its allies, Iran and Turkey, uh, which you kind of see happening even in our present time. Um, and, and the world's going to have this sense of finally wars passed, finally this is dealt with. We, we have peace and safety. Um, just like Noah's day, when they thought everything was fine. And the flood came and swept them all away. Paul uses the picture of labor pains. Um, isn't that interesting? You know what labor pains are? They're a... Uh, yep, yep. Some do. Thankfully, as a guy, I don't. But, but labor pains are a statement that someone's coming. And God says, it's going to be like labor pains. In fact, the Lord Jesus uses this in Matthew. He says, when there's famines and earthquakes and, and nation against nation, that's ethnic violence. And kingdom against kingdom, that's country against country. When you see that, these are the beginnings of the labor pains. But you know, our, our world has a, has a way of, of just saying, well, we've seen this before. Um, it's, it's not... Um, it's the way it's always been. We've been through this stuff before. Uh, if some of the things that were happening in our country had happened 100 years ago, they would call for a day of prayer. But our world knows how La Nina and El Nino works and global warming. And, and so we, we just we feel we have the knowledge that everything's okay. We're in control. We can get the handle on this. That's not true. Even labor pains can sometimes be false labor pains. When I was born, my mom and dad lived in Independence. He was a teacher. And, and my mom called him up and said, it's time. And so they dashed to Waterloo. And dad was filling out the paperwork. And they brought mom out and said, no, it was false. So they went home. A couple days later, it's time. And they dashed to Waterloo. Nope. It's false labor. A couple days later, mom says, dad says, okay. They dashed to Waterloo and he's filling out paperwork and here comes mom. And they, he said, false labor pains. She said, no, he's already been born. In fact, <laughs> in fact, the doctor wasn't in the room so they actually held me in 
till he got there. See, when the Lord comes, the world's going to have this sense, well, we've seen this before, we've seen this before, and the Lord Jesus says, I'm going to come, and it's going to be so unexpected, so unexpected. The world has a song, and it's a lullaby. It may be loud and, and passionate. It may be very soft and subtle. But all of the world's song is a love by. So he says in verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. You're a different person. Once, Paul says in Ephesians, you were darkness. Not in the dark, you were darkness. But now you are sons of light. Live as sons of light. That day's not going to come on us. That day of terrible judgment's not going to happen to us because we're not part of the darkness that God's coming to judge. We're sons and daughters of the day. We're sons of light. We're different and so this, this is not for us. Unbelievers will not escape, but we're not in danger. Notice the pronoun change from, from they and them in verse 3 to you and even we uh, in, in verses 4 and 5. It'll be a terrible time of danger when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's horrifying. They live in spiritual darkness. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness and put in the kingdom of God's dear son. And so he says in verse six, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. The world has this lullaby. The world is, is sleeping. It's insensitive to spiritual truths. You say the Lord's coming, judgment's coming. <laughs> everything's just like it's always been we've seen this before it's no big deal we are not to fall asleep we're not to listen to the world's lullaby and, and sleep has the idea of careless indifference to spiritual truths no what are we to be so then us not sleep as others do these lost people but let us be alert Alert means to keep awake, to watch. We're not to be marked by spiritual lethargy or insensitivity. We're to be on guard against temptation, spiritual laziness, and distraction. Watching for the Lord's return. Wake up, Paul says. Live like a person who's living in the day. Look for the Lord's return. Be aware of the opportunities of life. Because you know these truths. And then he says... And sober, the word originally, I think, um, the word originally meant abstaining from drinking. And later he's going to control it to, to drunkenness. It means avoiding excesses of all kinds, rashness, passion, confusion, to be self-controlled. We are, we are not to be caught up in all the things that the world gets caught up in because they think... Uh, they don't understand that God's in control. They don't understand that God has a purpose in what he causes to happen. And so they get, they get in a, a, 
a turmoil. We're not called to that. We're not called to rashness. We're called to being self-controlled. Verse 7, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk in the night. He, he said, don't be sleep. Don't, don't abstain from drinking. Don't be like a drunken person. He says, what are those two things characterized? They're characterized by people of the night. I tell you, if you come to our house at one o'clock in the morning, we're in bed, okay? Well, sometimes if Gail has a good book, Gail's not, but I'm in bed, okay? I'm in bed. Nighttime's for sleeping. The world's asleep. We're not called to be sleeping in the daytime. We're children of the day. People don't get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. I mean, even, even the world looks down on that. But I, I once, uh, when Mike Rothler was a policeman, I said, when you go out on your last time out, I'd like to go with you. And so he called me up and said, hey, we're going, <clears throat> this is my last night serving as a policeman. You want to ride with me? And I said, sure. You know, you see a different side of Waterloo Sear Falls, well, Sear Falls at night than you do in the daytime. Um, but one of the things we did is we went up to, to the hill uh, about midnight. And I said, what are we doing up here? Because he parked his car. He said, we're, we're waiting for all the bars to let out. And I said, why? He said, well, just watch. And here came a couple gals, and they were leaning against one another to stay upright as they walked down to, to an apartment they had not too far off the hill. He said, if we weren't here, if... if it, there wasn't any, if there was no knowledge of us being up here keeping watch, he said, how many times do you think that would happen before somebody come along with a van, sweep them up, throw them in the back of the van, and the next time we would hear of them is there's some bodies somewhere. He said, they go safe because they know we're up here watching. And then we picked up a couple guys who were trying to drive all over the road. And they were told, park your car, we'll call you a taxi, or you can walk, but don't get in this car again. Why did they do that? Because night times when people drink. Well, we're not to be controlled by forces. Our world is sleeping when it comes to spiritual truth. They're controlled by forces they don't even know control them. And so their actions are such. That's not how we're to live. And so he goes on. But since we are of the day, again, let us be sober. Let us be thinking. Let us have an action that we control, that we oversee. And he gives us some examples of exactly what we should do. He says, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul uses the picture of, of Roman armor. He'll, he'll really fill this out as we saw when we studied the book of Ephesians. Roman armor, uh, the breastplate protected you from the neck all the way down to the waist and it covered your back as well. And, uh, and it protected your vital organs. 
And he says, God's given us a breastplate. And here he calls it the breastplate of, of love and faith. As I trust God's word. Here God's made some revelation to you. You know the future. You know God's in control. You know where God's headed. You know how God wants you to live in this present time as the world's in darkness and living in the dark. Trust God's word and depend upon God and live in a way that lines up with the word of God. And then love. Be concerned for other people. Be concerned for those who are out in the night. You once were out in the night and someone was concerned about you. Enough to share the gospel with you. Enough to encourage you to get in the word of God. Enough to whatever it took to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. God's given uh, us these things. And he says, put those on. It'll protect, it'll protect you against the lullaby of the world. It'll protect you from, from missing opportunities of service, from missing opportunities to be used by God. Put it on. And then he says, the hope of salvation, or the helmet uh, of the hope of salvation, the helmet protected the head. The hope is a confident certainty of salvation. It guards the mind from attacks on one's thinking. In context, uh, it's the hope of Christ's return. The world laughs at that. Because Christians have failed to understand that God says no one knows the time. And so someone will say, oh, this is the time. And, and Christians get all excited. And, oh, it's going to be this date in 88. It's going to be this date what was it, 2005 or whatever, that there was another one of these, and it doesn't happen and the world just laughs. He wants us to have this testimony. He wants us to keep our thinking straight. Verse nine. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Aren't you glad for that? Read through the book of Revelation and say, I don't have to face that. Because God, in context, the wrath here he's talking about is this time of wrath where God punishes the wicked, punishes evil, and he comes in judgment Wait till we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He's destined us for salvation. Um, that, that, that day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and, and the shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ are raised and they get those resurrection bodies and in the moment, a twinkling of an eye, we get our resurrection bodies and this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. And we're, we're with the Lord. And we're forever with the Lord. What a hope. That's our future. And he says, God's destined us for that. And then he says, notice he says, um, through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. There was a cost. 
I was speaking on Romans 8 down in Cedar Rapids last week. And uh, I think it's verse 35 says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. And, and that Greek word, deliver him over for us all, uh, is the exact same word when they, in the third century BC, when they translate the Old Testament into Greek. It's the same word that is used in Genesis 22 where it says, you have not withheld your son, your only son. God the Father's heart was just as moved as Abraham's heart when Abraham offered up his son. There was a cost to our salvation. And, and interesting, that same word is found in Galatians 2, uh, verse 20, when, when Paul says, Christ who loved me and, and delivered himself up for me. Jesus Christ in a willing sacrifice of his very life made it possible, I will never see the tribulation. I will never see the lake of fire. I will never stand in the judgment of the great white throne. God has destined me to obtain that salvation that the Bible talks about where I will live together with him. And so he says, verse, um, notice that little phrase, whether we are awake or asleep. Commentators really wrestle with this. Um, some people say, because the Lord may come at, in the daytime or somewhere on earth, it'll be night. Uh, so it'll be whether you're, you're awake or whether you're sleeping because it's nighttime. Uh, not very many hold to that. Some people look back to chapter 4 and say, well, it's whether you're dead or alive. Um, but the word for sleep is different. The word for sleep in this section of chapter 5 is a different word than the word for sleep in chapter 4. And, and the word for awake um, is uh, the same word um, used in verse 6 for being alert, for being watchful, uh, keeping awake. And the word for sleep, it's the same word used in verses 6 and 7, where it means spiritual insensitivity to spiritual things and conformity to the world. So I think most likely what he's saying here is it means when Christ comes at the rapture, whether you're watchful and living for Christ or whether you're listening to the world's lullaby and you're doing absolutely nothing for Jesus Christ, if you know him as your savior, the Lord graciously is going to take all his people home to heaven. John says in that moment, some will be ashamed. And so there's, there's a bit of a warning here in this verse. Christ is coming. We Christians, God has told us we don't know the time. Just like the world doesn't know the time when God says enough is enough, my son's coming. The judgment's coming and my son's coming. They won't know. 
And we won't know when the rapture is. But we know it's going to happen. We know what the future holds. We know there's a, a kingdom to, to reign with him as we've served him. We know that you can be saved as though by fire <laughs> with nothing that you bring out of this life. But God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to be watching. He wants us to be controlled by the commands of Scripture to take the knowledge he's given us and not lose reward. And so he says, verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. The word encourage is this word of one called alongside to help. When you see a brother or sister and, and they're beginning to fall under the world's lullaby, they're beginning not to have an interest in spiritual things, they're beginning to have an interest not in serving Christ, they're beginning to, to just fall into the conformity of this world, come alongside, encourage them, challenge them. Comfort where you need to comfort but come alongside and help them so that they don't lose in a future day. Build up one another. Sometimes we need to, to encourage by coming alongside somebody and saying, yes, you can do it. To share the truths of the word of God. That God, if we're available, God makes it possible for us to serve him. And just build up other Christians. The Lord's coming. What's he going to say to you? The Lord's coming. And after he comes, judgment's coming. Who do you know that's going to face that judgment in that day? We have the knowledge. You know, Shel Silverstein probably would have been much happier if that first guy had said, do you want two quarters for that? But understand, these two quarters are worth half of it, what that dollar's worth. And so Paul comes alongside and he says, you've got some information. Let me help you. You're about to swap out your dollar for 50% of what God really wanted to do in your, with your life. You want, you want, you're going to end up, if you go with the world's lullaby of taking a dollar of what God wanted to do through your life and coming into my presence with five pennies. Don't do it. Don't do it. Listen to the word of God. Take what you know and let it affect how you choose to live. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us the knowledge we need to keep us from making uh, false choices in a world that is sleepwalking to a lost eternity. Help us not to hear their lullaby and fall in step with them. We know you'll save us from that, but how sad when you could use us to touch lives. So we pray for your wisdom, for your help in our lives to call us uh, to live by your word because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.